welcome to the very first edition of our Ellen and Overy Advanced Delivery Podcast. In this podcast series, we will shine light at how the legal landscape is shifting in these, what we all hope will be post-corona times. We'll take a look, for instance, at how the in-house legal function has changed, what this means for law firms, and of course, how technology plays a key role in this evolution of the legal landscape. In this first edition, we will focus specifically on the in-house legal function, how it has changed and how it will continue to change. I'm Peter van Dijk, partner in the, the Ellen Overy Brussels office, focusing on IP and technology. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Lauren Rasking, senior associate in the same office, focusing on litigation. Thank you, Peter. Very excited to be here and very honored that uh, today we can welcome two guest speakers who will share their experiences as legal in-house counsel with us. So warm welcome to uh, Caroline Kuzemans, legal counsel at Google, and Lawrence de Koster, legal counsel at BNY Mellon. Yes, and Caroline and Lawrence, do you maybe want to kick off the, the podcast by saying a few words about yourself, what's your background, and really what brought you to Google and BNY Mellon? Yes, um, of course. Um, so yeah, my name is uh, Caroline. I'm from Antwerp. And um, that's where I also did my law studies at Antwerp University. I'm very proud as every Antwerp person. Um, and I did a master um, in law in London because I wanted to specialize in everything that was digital. And also I wanted to study uh, in English. Now, uh, it would have been great to be able to go to America, but it's very expensive. So I only found uh, the means to go to London, which was already great too. So there I studied like five main topics being competition, European competition law, computer law, whatever that means, internet law, whatever that means too, telecommunications law. And then um, after that, I started, uh, I came back to Brussels and uh, I started to work uh, at Stube, where I qualified as, as a Belgian lawyer. Um, after a while, I thought that it would be interesting to work in Paris, which is really a great place for Belgians for a few years, worked like a dog night and day. And then um, I switched to see the light and I, I joined Google. And now I'm at Google um, first in Paris and then, then now in Brussels for 10 years. That, that's a little overview of, of, uh, of what I've done. Over to you, Lawrence. Thank you and thanks for, for having me. Um, so I'm uh, Lawrence Acoster, uh, legal counsel at BNY Mellon. BNY Mellon, or the Bank of New York Mellon in full, is, is not as, as well known as, as some of the other banks we, we have in, in Belgium, um, but actually it's uh, one of the biggest ones and, and we are also regulated as a systemic uh, financial institution by the ECB. And, and so our clients are mostly institutionals and, uh, and other banks and, and, you know, the, the real big asset owners who use us as a, as a custodian. So how did I get here? Well, I first worked as an attorney for a few years and, and then I said, well, this is not really the life for me. So I want to go into the financial world. And first I worked at KBC. So obviously one of the, the main banks in Belgium. And then uh, I had an opportunity to move to Euroclear, uh, which was very exotic for me at the time, but so also one of these more financial infrastructure type things. And that's when I first heard about BNY Mellon um, and, and the fact that we even have offices in, in Belgium. So I, I've been here now for uh, almost seven years and uh, it's, it's a very interesting world because you have all these financial regulations that apply to everyone, but also you're in sort of the 
more um, high finance world uh, compared to maybe some of the more on the ground stuff that uh, that other um, banks are are busy with. Okay, thank you. That sounds like very interesting environments. Can can I ask you to just zoom in a little bit on your your day to day tasks as in house counsel in your organizations? Can I start again with you, Caroline? Yes, um, what we do here at Google in the legal department, um, you, you can compare it with being a mini law firm within uh, a company. So all my clients are all the other departments, so business department, marketing, global affairs, etc. And what is very interesting here um, at Google is, of course, that we are at the edge of many things because we launch many new products. So it's it's a very interesting law firm, let's say, to work at. Uh, you have to be very creative and very aware of regulation and um, existing law to be able to apply these rules to whatever new stuff our engineers are thinking of. And what is another very interesting thing in how we're structured and, and what I'm doing in my day-to-day -day job is, um, of course, providing advice, but in a very independent way because we are organized in such a way that although I'm based in Brussels, I will not report into our country lead, that is Thierry Geertz, you might have heard of him, um, because that makes me more independent. So I'm a really independent advisor, so I can tell him, yes, great idea, or I can just tell him the opposite. Um, without having any issues. Like my manager um, is in a whole other country and we are reporting in very different um, management lines. What makes that I'm really very, uh, very independent in what I'm doing. And so to be a little bit more concrete also is, um, I always say that we in country, we are like the blue uh, helmets. Um, we bring peace, but we're also cannon meat. We take the first bullets. And uh, we, are, we are also yeah, helping in, in launching um, a lot of, of, of new, exciting products. Uh, that's, that's, in a nutshell, what we are doing here. Okay, interesting. Canon Meats. Lawrence, uh, are you also describing yourself that way? Um, no. <laughs> so, so, um, so, how I would see our job is that we, we work in mostly three buckets. Um, the first big one is, is meetings. Um, we attend a lot of meetings as legal. It's product approval where they ask us what's the legal and regulatory situation of this product and, and are we comfortable uh, offering this to clients. Also major decisions that have to be made in terms of a potential litigation or a regulatory breach, like what's our legal exposure. And, and all the time, that's the question for legal. What's our maximum exposure? What's the worst thing that could happen here? And, and obviously in the financial sector, uh, because it's always linked to licensing and regulation. That's a critical part of decision-making. And then a, a second big piece of what we do is is project support. And I would say where these meetings is more on a, a regular basis, projects is, well, it's always ad hoc because it's an, a new thing. And that's uh, usually much more involved. So then it's from day one, people are saying, hey, we would like to launch something new. How would we go about structuring this legally? Like, do we need to sign any new contracts with any major financial counterparties? Do we need to prepare new templates for clients? Um, that kind of thing. And, and also obviously new regulation. Uh, there's a lot of regulation in the financial sector. And when there's a major new directive or, or European regulation, sometimes a Belgian law, 
we will interpret it, um, help with the implementation to make sure that it's in line with our systems. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing where sometimes we do stuff ourselves, but very often we will seek help from external counsel or from uh, other uh, parties. The third part is is just day-to-day -day support. And I guess I, that would be the closest to the, the real in-house law firm almost, but it's a law firm with like a, a, a quick dial. So you'll have people calling you and they expect an answer within four hours. And it's typically a small question. And sometimes it turns into a big question, but that's like the really day-to-day -day support. Okay. And Lawrence, can I continue with you? What would you label as being the... The biggest challenges for an, an in-house legal function? Right now, there's one clear answer, and that's talent. Um, it's, it's extremely difficult in this market to find people who are willing to change jobs and, and to come over to you to, to retain them. Um, so uh, that's, that's yeah, what we are constantly thinking about. Okay. Caroline, is that the same for, for Google? So, yeah, I agree with Lawrence that um, hiring the right or the good people, or the right talent is a challenge. Um, the difficulty that we have, especially in Belgium, is to find good lawyers that are trilingual. It's still important to be able to speak fluently and to write fluently in French, Dutch and English. We also want to hire the right people um, and we are very att attentive to diversity. So we want to have a diversity of people. Um, we also want to focus on equity between men and women. And these are also topics that are not only challenging us into the hiring process, but it's also a point of attention when we are going towards law firms and we're looking into who to hire, who to work with. We also want the law firms we're working with to have this eye for diversity And, and especially also an equity between, or equality, although that's not the right word, between uh, men and women. We also want um, women partners in law firms we are working with. And, and another point that is really um, a challenge for us in our day-to-day -day work is the mental charge. And that might be a little bit different on of what we see maybe in law firms, we, we need to take into account many more other things than the, the law that is sacred. Other topics can be what's the company strategy on the different topics, um, what is the public opinion impact if we take a certain position, who do I need to look in, and who needs to be made aware of uh, certain topics. Thank you very much for that 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 answer. That's that's very interesting, and that fully resonates as well with us and the war on talent that that we're seeing uh, as well as a, as a law firm. Maybe zooming in now on on one more specific point: the interaction between between you as an in-house lawyer and then your internal clients. What we've seen many clients do increasingly these days is to put in place so-called almost self-serve system where rather than to, to provide um, advice on every topic, they give their internal clients the tools to do it themselves. And that may be putting in place contract templates or playbooks of negotiation positions. That may be technology, document automation. Is this kind of self-serve systems for your, your internal clients something that you recognize? And if so, did you see that evolve over recent years and, and did that impact your day-to-day -day job? And maybe, Lawrence, I'll, I'll ask you first to comment on this. It, it's a very interesting question, and it's something we're definitely looking at, but it's still 
I would say, in its infancy. So we would like to trust the business more to to make their own decisions, but we we do find that in a in a very specialized business like ours, it's difficult to to have a lot of fixed positions on on anything really. So I I think you would probably get a different answer if you spoke to a business that was more uh, focusing on volume, like a retail bank, um, versus a less commoditized uh, business like like we are in. I think we do see sort of increasing efforts to making our templates as standard as possible. And and in a way, this also goes with client segmentation, where for some clients we say, I'm sorry, it's not really worth it for you to spend a lot of time and and resources on on expert legal advice in negotiating this position, for instance, and and we are going to steer them to more standard products and, and legal agreements. But it's still, yeah, it's we're not there yet. Absolutely not. Thank you. And Caroline, does this resonate with, with you, such kind of a self-serve system? Well, um, we are looking into a lot of approaches. And what we rather do is um, to work together with the other legal teams in the region to work more efficiently. And so to share tasks that can be managed by one person for the whole region, um, which is also nice for the personal growth of that person. The direct impact of all that, of course, is that you're not only a lawyer, but need to become a great people manager with a global view on topics and processes and, and most importantly, on, on people. Maybe, Kathleen and Lawrence, um, moving to to a trend that we, we have seen um, in the business as usual, uh, let me say, commercial transactions, we see a trend that less work is being done by the legal function and more work is being done by, by so-called service providers uh, that then also use technology, alternative resourcing models, uh, standard processes and templates, etc. And we, we refer to that trend as uh, platformization of uh, flow work to be very technical. Uh, is this a trend that you see at all in your organizations? So it, it, it's a trend that we are starting to see and we have experimented with it ourselves, um, but it's quite hard, especially when you think about quality control. Obviously, when we, we talk about any type of financial contracts, the risk of doing it wrong is often in the millions of, of, of euros. Um, and so you need to be really sure that whatever you're doing is is correct. And we haven't yet found something that can reliably get us where we really need to be in terms of quality. But we are staying on the lookout for improvements in this space. And Kajaline, were you uh, more successful already in this search? Um, like we maybe a little bit more experienced, um, successful, um, maybe it comes with experience. Um, wh what I can say on that topic is that, that processes and standards are good, but as long as it's done in a smart way. And so uh, we need to be aware of not setting up processes or standards just for the sake of setting them up. That's something that I saw happening when I was working at Amazon. There you got the wrong incentives because you were rewarded for setting up a new process, not for the quality of it, um, and to set up many processes. So, yeah, I, I would just say, like, um, good, but, but do it in a smart way. Maybe, maybe as a follow-up question on, on that, um, specifically focusing on, on technology, 
I mean, as a law firm, we've invested quite heavily in, in legal tech, which we're increasingly using for, for our lawyers, often to take away kind of the, the, the easy, um, time-consuming work, as well as when doing work for, for our clients. I, I would assume probably for the both of you that technology um, has also impacted the way, way that you work. Could you talk a little bit about how you use technology in your day-to-day job and whether that has changed and how you, you expect it to change over the, the coming years? So I started at Google like 10 years ago and I expected to, as being Google, to have like the, the best technology systems and the best processes and the smartest databases and AI everywhere, uh, which is not the case because it's a legal profession. And so you, you, you cannot put everything in systems because um, there is so many things you have to think of and and rely upon. Also, uh, in companies like Google and also the legal department, uh, when we are setting stuff up, systems, uh, we try to think in an international, global way. So, uh, and as law is not international, but very much local, except for, of course, uh, EU-level regulations, it's not. It, it can often be a patchwork of things, and, and then it becomes complex and, and, and dangerous um, if you're not very vigilant. So, uh, yes, we have a lot of, of systems. We have kind of databases of all precedents of uh, litigation. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's things that you expect also to have in, in, um, in certain uh, law firms. And little by little, we are now developing new tools. So we have some stuff, but we're still it's still work in progress, uh, which is nice. Also, because of the complexity of it all, you really need engineers that are uh, dedicated to it. And you almost need engineers that were lawyers before to be able to think along with us and to understand the whole legal system and what is relevant or not. Um, to be able to come up with good systems. And I'm sure that once we have them, um, maybe we'll commercialize them. That's very interesting. Thank you, Caroline. And Lawrence, from your perspective? I would say that, well, we, we definitely use systems. We, you know, obviously have the, the, the entire office suite and, and we have a, a knowledge sharing system and, and databases, things like that. Um, but in practice... It, it, it's as, as Caroline says. It's uh, not always easy to to sort of put the the law and your legal advice in a system. Uh, not necessarily because you can't put it there, but the question how much you can reuse later is always something you have to really think about. So, to be quite honest, in practice, when I am looking for something that I'm thinking someone must have done this in the past, I will sometimes look up something in our systems, but more often I will shoot an email to my colleague who I think might know something more about this and they'll reply. And it's the, the old analog way is often still more productive than the technology for now. Thanks. Um, and maybe moving from the, the old analog way and taking more of a helicopter view to, to the, the legal market as a whole, what we've seen over the past, I mean, say five to 10 years, is that where the market used to be to some extent segmented in various types of legal service providers, those lines start to clearly blur uh, by now. I mean, in the past, if you look at the legal work that was done by in-house functions, by law firms, by legal process outsourcing companies, by consultants, I mean, there was a clear distinction between what each of those um, entities did. 
we've seen those lines being blurred. Um, maybe as a first question, is that something that you've seen as well? And as a follow-up question to that, if you've seen it as well, has that impacted what types of work you outsource to which type of service provider? So what we see in our legal department is that we stayed constant on the amount of in-house counsels. So um, the amount of people that are there and amount of people that are proactively hired for the needs. But what we uh, saw more is that we received more options uh, to choose of uh, in addition of, let's say, the in-house councils that are Googlers. And it's up to every council, and, that, and, and that's great that we have that freedom to, to, to choose which kind of work um, they want to keep to themselves and what they want to give to law firms or to other providers. And so um, that's, that's a great advancement for the well-being um, also of the in-house council. So if you want, you can keep the more exciting um, cases to yourself or you want a second advice from a law firm to feel 100% secure uh, on the advice you're going to give or like the more low-hanging fruits you can give them to contractors. So um, that's really an evolution we saw over the last few years and even more because, Peter, you um, in your introduction, you talked about evolutions of, of corona and impact of corona. Well, I must say that what we saw during all that time was that there was an increased um, attention to the well-being of, of all the, the Googlers and, of course, also of the legal department. So this is part of, of that positive impact, let's say, of Corona. It's not the digitalization, um, because we already had some of that. It's more um, looking into the well-being and giving options to raise well-being of the employees. Thank you. Lawrence, from your perspective, any view? Yes, uh, I certainly agree with uh, the blurring of the lines. What I would say is, while the lines have blurred, I think it's mostly because we have think we have started thinking about this in a different way. In the past, as you said, like it's this type of task, okay, goes to this type of contractor, this type of task goes to this type of contractor. And I think nowadays we try to be a bit more strategic about what's the type of thing or the type of knowledge that we want to build in-house. So whereas maybe in the past, say, if you had someone leaving on maternity leave, you would say, we're going to hire a temp and that temp will take over. Nowadays, we're also thinking, is there maybe someone in-house in a different department who might want to be temporarily seconded to this department to build their knowledge of a different department, a different type of law? Um, and also fill in that gap with someone who already has some of the corporate knowledge that you just cannot have with a, a temporary employee. And similarly, when you think about like there's a big project and you need regulatory support, well, in the past would have gone either way. Sometimes you'd say we go to a law firm to support the entire thing or we are going to handle the entire thing in-house. But it's going to be based on, on a resourcing discussion. Nowadays, we're also thinking about not just resources, but also is this something that's going to be a one-off implementation and therefore it's not necessarily valuable to have someone with in-house knowledge? Or is this going to be something that will require constant follow-up? So it's great if we have someone from the company working on it and, and continuing to keep that knowledge in-house. 
Lars and Caroline, maybe next I would like to present the results of, of a large survey to you uh, that we did um, with in-house counsel and from which it became clear that a hot topic, and I'm sure Caroline you will agree here, is the use of data. Uh, and actually 53% of in-house counsel in that survey said that they want to use data to drive their decision-making uh, and their reporting internally and to improve the quality and consistency of the service of the legal function. Um, I would like to ask you, is that also something that you see in your organization? And perhaps if it's not uh, being used yet in an ideal world, do you would you like to use that as well? Yeah, well, for me, that's old news, guys. Um, when I started Google 10 years ago, um, if I wanted stuff to change, I had to provide data. Um, so we've always been evolving in a more and more data-driven economy. And Google, um, as, as you might uh, know or understand, is a, is a very much a data-driven um, organization. So if I want to convince any department or our finance department to give me more headcounts, I will have to explain based on data why this is needed. So I will have to explain like we have more litigation or we have new regulation coming towards us that will um, explain um, or explain the need to have more people, more hands, more heads. Um, so, um, no, I'm, I'm totally not amazed uh, by it. And, and I think it's a very interesting approach. Um, it's not the sole approach, but it's a good um, basic approach uh, for a company to look into uh, certain topics, for sure. Okay. And, and Lardens, is that old news for you as well? Or is this still developing in your organization? It's already fairly developed. Um, I would say even sometimes a bit too developed for my taste because, of course, the, uh, the, the shadow side of data is always that someone has to start inputting the data and, and that sometimes goes with admin, which is great for the finance people, but not always as great for, <laughs> for the lawyers. But uh, definitely, I mean, I, I would say in addition to the points Caroline has made, I think one of the things we are looking at is, is prioritization, um, where traditionally, if you're in a legal department, anyone can ask you questions. You're not on an hourly um, rate like like external lawyers are. So people can, can come to you, which is great because, of course, we do want to get the questions from the business. I think what has sometimes been missing there is, is a data component where I have been on calls for an hour. And at the end of the call, I ask, like, actually, how much money are we talking about here? And it's 300 euros or something. And, and then, well, I mean, th then of course I, I say, well, there's seven of us on this call. We just wasted more money than we can possibly save by having any conclusion at all. So that doesn't make sense. And that's something that we are sort of trying to get a discipline in our, with our business colleagues in, um, making sure that, you know, we have limited legal resources, even if they don't feel it necessarily, but they should be aware that we should be working on the most important topics and they should know and, and they should instruct their teams to, you know, let us know which are the top priorities and which things will have to wait until another day. Wonderful. As a, as a final topic, I'd, I'd like to go back now to, to the topic we touched upon earlier briefly, uh, the all-important topic of, of talent. And Lawrence and Caroline, you, you both mentioned talent as, as probably your key concern uh, going forward to find the right talent and keep them motivated. And we've certainly seen that with the new generation of lawyers entering the profession, 
and especially lawyers that have now entered the profession uh, during Corona and soon after Corona, we've we've seen a fair share of new new workplace expectations. We've seen certainly an increased need of flexibility in in how we work and where we work. Is is this something that resonates with with the two of you? And and how do you see your legal function changing in the future to address the changing workplace expectations? Yeah, I see that. I'm very happy about that. Rebellion. Finally, lawyers don't have to work so many hours. <laughs> Why are we doing that? No, I think it's very healthy. I'm very happy that there's this new generation that's imposing that on the old generation. So go go, go, girls and guys, continue putting pressure on the law firms and on the legal departments, because that's the only way for us to, to change things. Um, and, and we're changing things because we want to um, have... These, these great talents with us and and it's right what they're saying and what they're doing and it's a benefit to 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 everybody so yeah ve very happy with that of course um it's easier for me to say that because google has already loads of things in place uh, and a big emphasis of well-being of, of its employees but still i think for the legal profession it's a great movement to see and I'm very happy with that i completely agree Banking has traditionally been more, well, been more traditional um, and a bit of a conservative industry. But I think at BNY Mellon, especially since the, the COVID crisis, but also uh, a bit before, we have been moving in a big way to the future of work, as we call it internally. Uh, so the idea is now that as we are slowly returning to work, it's not supposed to be five days in the office anymore. There's going to be much more flexibility, much more attention to yeah, well-being of the employees uh, at work and also outside of work. Um, and, and it's a great evolution uh, and, and indeed uh, absolutely crucial to talent uh, attraction and retention. Mm. Well, I think this, this great positive message brings us to the end of, of our first podcast on the new legal landscape. Carolina Larsens, thank you very much for sharing your experiences and your insights on the future of the legal function with us. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to welcome you again on one of our next ANO Advanced Delivery podcasts. Thank you all. Bye. <laughs>